Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. Well, good morning, church. I'm so excited that I get to be here with you today. And some of you, if you haven't been here the last few weeks or you weren't here for the State of Grace, you may be going, what? She's the children's pastor. Well, after seven and a half, more than that probably, years of working in children's ministry and loving on your kids and watching them grow, um, God just really laid on my heart how important it was to take a look at what was going on at home. And so I've been working really hard the last year or so in moving into this new role of marriage and family pastor. And so I'm here to support you with tools and prayer and resources and all of those things and events to help you have a thriving marriage and a thriving uh, parenting and family um, setting because I just I care so much about you guys and God does too. So before we get started this morning, Carl asked me to update you guys on the Philippians challenge. So if you were here last week, Carl asked or challenged all of us to memorize the entire entirety of chapter four of Philippians. How many of you guys have started that already? Yeah, I started it too. And then I had some trouble with the names. Uh, they're hard to pronounce. I had to listen to them. Uh, and I got my kids. They started on part of it. And I was talking to Carl this week, and he said that he was going to change it just a little bit. So he said that what he really, really wants you guys to do is to memorize verses 4 through 13, which starts with rejoice and ends with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, anybody that does that and comes and says it to one of us on staff, you'll get a free coffee drink. And if you're really amazing and you go and you do the whole chapter four, then you get a gold star. <laughs> so I would just strongly encourage you guys to do that. Um, it's so good and important to have God's word hidden in our hearts um, and have it where it's easy to pull up. So just encourage you to do that um, personally or with your family. So like Gina said, we are starting our Rhythms series this week, and I'm super excited about this. So how many of you guys would say that you have rhythm, like can keep a beat? Any musicians or people that have danced in their life? Yeah? I used to teach Zumba, so I have a little bit of rhythm from that, uh, but I wanted to show you one of my all-time favorite dance routines from a movie. So if you guys would cue that up. Napoleon Dynamite can dance so much, uh, but he, I mean, he stayed on beat for the most part. Mostly, I just wanted to throw that out there for all of you millennials like me who would appreciate that throwback. So in music and in dance, rhythm is what gives the music its structure. And in the same way, rhythms give our lives structure. Now, all of you have rhythms, whether you have rhythm or not. 
It's just the things that you do regularly, right? The habits and routines. And those things happen daily and weekly and monthly, and you do them regularly over time, and they actually add up to your whole life. They shape you and mold you into the person that you're becoming. Now, to prove this point, I want you to think really quickly about your favorite grandparent. Have you got them? So I'm going to tell you a little, about, a little bit about my grams today. So my grams was a wonderful lady. She had such a great personality, and she loved to be in the kitchen. In fact, at Christmas time, she would bake. She would spend weeks baking like 20 different kinds of cookies. And all of us cousins would come at Christmas time and we would gorge ourselves on all of the cookie goodness until we just couldn't even get up off of the floor. And it was so much fun. But when she was in the kitchen, she always wore an apron, right? But she didn't wear an apron like other people wear aprons. She had one of those short ones that go around your waist, but that's not where she wore it. She wore it up around her chest. And I don't know why nobody ever got her a full apron, but that was just how she did it. And you know what is so funny? That's what I do, too, when I wear an apron in the kitchen. I mean, I think it's kind of smart. You don't get flour and stuff all over your shirt, either. But it wasn't any big thing that she did. It wasn't one experience I had with my grams. It wasn't one thing she did or anything like that. It was the little things that she did with us regularly as we were kids. That's what we remember, and that's what we've all carried on into our own families now that we're grown and have our own kids. And I think that at the end of our lives, the legacy that we leave behind, it's not going to be so much that one event or that one experience or that one big thing that happened that people will remember about us. What gets carried on are those daily rhythms and habits. Now, these rhythms, they happen in two different ways. Some of them happen on purpose, and they're the intentional things that we do to move towards a certain goal or a desired outcome, like going to the gym three times a week or waking up every morning for a quiet time, maybe going on a weekly date night with your spouse or reading to your kids before bed. But the other way that rhythms happen are on accident. And it's not by any fault of us, it's just our human nature and the way that God designed us. See, if we didn't fall into habits, we would still have to think really hard about how to tie our shoes. And we don't need to do that, right? We need to habitualize things. But unfortunately, the kinds of things that happen on accident, those rhythms, the ones that come to mind for me are like when Justin and I were early in our marriage and we would watch TV late at night, and we would just mindlessly snack while we watched TV. Anybody do that, right? And like suddenly we'd be like, oh my gosh, there goes a whole box of Cheetos. Like, where'd that? Like, what even happened? I'm not even hungry, right? Or maybe it's the habit of scrolling social media for an hour after dinner every night. Does anybody check their phone at every single red light when they drive through town? Y'all are not even gonna admit it. Okay, like I've totally been honked at before, right? That's so embarrassing. I know you do too, because I see people that are on their phones even when they're driving. Okay, you guys just want a minute today. All right, so which of these kinds of rhythms are easier? The accidental ones, right? They don't require very much effort, no. They don't propel us towards God's best for us either. In fact, I think that these accidental habits, they're born from our sin nature. They're born from this place inside of us that just desire for things to be easier. And the outcomes of them 
tend to do things like make us fat, lazy, and distracted. And this is important to realize because, you see, the enemy, he doesn't have to get us to be evil to advance his kingdom. No. He just has to make us lazy and distracted enough that we're not advancing God's kingdom. Do you know who else had rhythms? Jesus. Yeah. In fact, John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a tongue twister, he talks about four rhythms that Jesus practiced. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, slowing, and simplifying. And throughout that book, he talks about how we can learn so much from Jesus's rhythms and the things that he did regularly. And he also explains that Jesus was a rabbi. And at that point in time, in culture and in history, that was a common thing. There were lots of rabbis, and they all did similar things, right? They traveled around talking about their teaching and their preaching, and people followed them around. But all of these rabbis had two things in common. The first one was what they called a yoke. Now, that's something that's very common, would have been common in an agrarian society, right? It's what oxen wore to shoulder the weight of the load that they were pulling or carrying. And rabbis had a yoke that was simply a teaching on how to live life. It was how you carry the weight and the load of being human and of humanity. The second thing that all rabbis had were apprentices or disciples. So Jesus had 12 disciples, and they just kind of followed him around and went where he went and tried to model their lives after him. Now this brings kind of a new meaning to Matthew 11 when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what he's saying here is, do life the way that I do. And so I want to read you that verse um, in, from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. I want to read you the message version, because I really like the way that it sounds. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So what Jesus is saying here in this passage is he's inviting his disciples to copy his rhythms and to do life the way that he does. And church, he extends that exact same invitation to all of us. Now we're gonna take the next few weeks of this series and we're gonna dig into some of those rhythms. But today, I wanna really focus on where this work of rhythms all begins. So how many of you would call yourselves goal setters? A few people? Okay, how many of you like to fly by the seat of your pants? <laughs> Those hands always shoot up really fast. Like, y'all are so proud that you fly by the seat of your pants. You should be. I, I'm a goal setter, so I just don't really get it. <laughs> but uh, I love setting goals and breaking them down into like actionable steps and creating a system to make sure that everything goes the way that it's supposed to. In fact, I'm known as the systems girl here at work. Um, but whether you're a goal setter or you fly by the seat of your pants, as humans, we, we kind of all know what we want, right? 
Some of us want success. Now that could be financial success or it could just be feeling like you did a good job at the end of the day. Some of us want fame. I mean, I remember being a kid and really admiring and kind of idolizing different sports figures and musicians and movie stars. My kids now, they want to be YouTube and Instagram influencers, and I'm not exactly sure what that is or how you become one or like what talent it requires, but I'm told that it's a thing. Some of us chase after beauty, maybe our own personal beauty or just for our lives to look beautiful on social media or to the people around us. We pursue health. And I think a lot of us, all of us, at some point in time or another, would say that we pursue happiness. I mean, I hear this a lot. I just want to be happy. And we actually go to really great lengths to be happy. Well, see, what happens is these things, these values and priorities that we have in our lives, they're actually where our rhythms flow out of. And so if your priority is success, you might work tirelessly without rest to try to accomplish that. If it's beauty, you might search the world looking for the next perfect Instagram photo moment. And if it's happiness, then you're going to pursue activities that make you happy, right? The problem with pursuing happiness and letting that be the thing that drives you is that you're really just being driven by this desire for another dopamine hit. And so you'll move from one dopamine hit to the next, to the next, to the next, thinking that it will fill you and that it will make you happy. And some of us find really great ways to do that, right? We connect with other people and we spend time in the outdoors and it's fantastic. But I think if we're not careful, if we let that happiness be the thing that rules us and guides us, and we end up letting that dopamine desire drive us, we end up doing things like needing that drink or two or three when we get home from work. Some of us can't wait for that next time we get to go to Grand Junction and spend a bunch of money. Some of us look to sex for that, to fill us, or eating. But none of those things are going to ultimately make us happy, right? In fact, they're going to leave us feeling more unfilled. And I'd like to propose to you today that instead of letting happiness be the thing that drives us and the priority that we chase after, that we would pursue holiness instead. And when I say holiness, I don't mean perfection and getting it all right and checking off all the boxes. No, I mean this, that God desires so deeply for us to be in relationship and covenant with him. And he wants us to be constantly moving toward him and his desires for us in everything that we think, everything we say, and everything that we do. So where do we, like, get these priorities from? Some of them just come from our God-given personality. I think of Mary and Martha in the Bible and how they had really different priorities, right? And I think all of us could identify as either a Mary or a Martha. Some of us get our priorities from our family of origin or our experiences. So maybe you grew up in a family where it was kind of financially unstable. Maybe you weren't really sure if, you know, you were kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And so now you're a really good, diligent budgeter and you really care about financial stability because you didn't have it as a kid. 
Conversely, maybe you had a family that was so well-connected that, that, I mean, that you guys just loved being together and you still do. That's probably a priority that you're going to put into your family now, right? Our seasons dictate our priorities so much. I mean, think about the different priorities of these three groups of people. A college-age single kid, a new family with three kids under the age of four, and a retired couple. They're going to have vastly different priorities, right? They're in a totally different season of life. I think the thing that influences our priorities that maybe we don't want to admit is culture. See, I think that culture has the tendency to hijack our priorities because we think we know what we want, and then we see what somebody else has or what everybody else has, and suddenly now we think we need that. So my son Deacon, he got this little Bronco uh, toy car for Christmas a couple of years ago, and it's like one of his favorite toys. And then suddenly, he started noticing them as we were out driving around. And then he created a game, it's called Bronco I Win. And so when you see a Bronco, you scream out, Bronco, I win! And then you win the game. And I don't know, he keeps track with all these points and old ones are worth more than new. I, I don't even know, I can't keep up with it. But the point is that like, we're a Toyota family and now he's pretty sure we need to go get a Bronco because he just really loves them. And that's what he sees everywhere now, right? That's what his attention is drawn to. I think that this is why in Romans 12, 2, that Paul is writing the Romans and he tells them, don't be conformed to this world. He's saying, don't let the world's priorities be yours. They need to be different. That won't fill you. To make this point, this is just an interesting fact that I learned the other day. I was reading a book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and he says that in the 1400s is when the word priority was first created, but it was only singular. There was one priority, and it wasn't until after, into the 1900s, after the Industrial Revolution, after the creation of mechanized things and all the stuff and the push and the drive to get more, that priority became priorities. I just found that so interesting to see how culture has shaped what we pursue. So some of my values are order and teamwork. And I've told you before that my husband's is very different. It's adventure. And so I'm going to give you guys all a marriage tip today. Are you ready for it? It is good in your marriage to be interested in the values of your spouse and to value those values. And so because I am such a good wife, I've taken up hunting in the last few years. Yep, I was uh, up until, well, I was not successful the first few times. <laughs> but this past fall, I got the opportunity to go on my first buck hunt. And so we woke up early one morning and we walked up to the top of this ridge and as the sun came up, sure enough, in this valley were lots of deer. And there weren't any trophies in there, you know, but there were some mature bucks and so we watched them for the day. And it was so funny as we were watching them, there was this one buck who was mature enough that Justin said I could shoot him. And I was trying so hard to like be good and not get it over with and enjoy the experience with him. So we sat and we watched this buck all day long as he chased these does, it was the beginning of the rut, back and forth across the hillside. 
And as we sat there, I had to laugh at the difference between my husband and I, maybe men and women in general, because I created an entire soap opera of what was happening as this buck, who I named Don Juan, chased after these does all day long, while my husband was completely content and happy to sit in utter silence all day. I just think that that's so funny. <laughs> so it's finally afternoon, and nothing else bigger or better has come out. And guys, truthfully, I really just wanted to get it over with. And so I decide I'm going to shoot this buck. And he's, he's come in to about three or 400 yards. He's right across the little valley that we're looking over. And it's going to be a perfect shot. I mean, he's standing perfectly broadside. He doesn't know we're there. So I take the time and I get set up on the gun. I do everything right. I'm breathing. I calm my nerves. I mean, the sun is like kind of in my face, but like, I'm good. I'm good. And so I take the shot and I miss by a lot. And God bless my husband. He calms me down and he gets me all set back up again. He's like standing in the sun in case that was the problem. And I shoot again. And I miss again by a lot again. And I just, I'm so thankful for my husband because at this point, I know something's wrong and I'm a perfectionist, so I'm pretty sure the problem is me right? But my husband is so good. He speaks truth over me. He says, honey, you are such a good shot. Like, we've taken the gun out. You're good. You've got this. I think something's wrong with the gun. I say, okay, I hope so. That's my lie. I'm like just tormented at this point. But the sun is setting, and we need to go ahead and go. And we just decide we'll go out first thing in the morning and sight the gun in again. So sure enough, we go out the next morning shoot the gun at 100 yards, and it shoots seven inches to the left. At three or 400 yards, that's several feet. It wouldn't have mattered what I did. I would not have hit that buck for all the world because the gun wasn't sighted in. Now, we got it all fixed. I was so relieved that the problem wasn't me, and we had an awesome afternoon hunt. We got to actually do like a stock in on another buck and it was incredible and I was successful and I will totally do it again. But the next day I was praying about it because I just, I felt like God said, there's something more for you here in this moment. And what he revealed to me was that I could be the best shot. I could have the best form, top of the line gun, best scope, I could breathe just right, everything could be set up just perfectly, but if my sight isn't dialed in, I'm going to miss the shot every single time. And he said, Sarah, in the same way, you can have the best of intentions for where you want to go and what you want your family to look like and what rhythms you want to set up for your life and where all of the goals and stuff that you have. But if your priorities are not in line with my priorities and values, you will miss my best for you every single time. And it turns out that the Israelites were the exact same way. So we're going to spend a little time this morning in the book of Haggai. Now, it's this tiny two-chapter book uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. And I'll just give you a quick historical recap so that you know where we are in history. But 
David's son Solomon has built this huge, beautiful, wonderful temple to God. And then the Babylonians come in and they destroy the temple and they exile all of the Israelites. And so the Israelites live in exile for 70 years. And finally, after 70 years, they're allowed to come back to their land and they're told to rebuild their temple. And they should be excited about this, right? But they're not, they're, they're dragging their feet. So we're gonna start in chapter one, verse two. The Lord of armies says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? See, the Israelites, they just wanted to make sure that they had their stuff put together before they worried about God's stuff. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Does anybody identify with that feeling? I do. I honestly think most of America does. It doesn't matter what we do, we never have enough. We're never filled. Let's keep reading in verse seven. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house and I will be pleased with it and glorified. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. He's basically saying you're putting all of your effort into the wrong things and the wrong priorities and you wonder why everything is failing. For me, building my own house, it looks like trying to control nearly everything in my life to have everything planned down to the T and know exactly how it's going to go, to pursue and strive to constantly do enough good things. What does that look like for you? When you're trying so hard to force your life and make it work and it just isn't. You might be trying to fix a problem that's bigger than just you. You see, the Israelites, they were doing all of the work but it wasn't amounting to anything because their sights weren't dialed in. Their priorities were not God's and just like me hunting, they were missing the mark. So I would encourage you today that if life is feeling off for you, like it's a struggle and it's not working, it could be because your priorities aren't aligned with God's priorities. So what do we do? So God asked the Israelites twice in what I just read to think carefully about their ways. And it makes me think of that verse in Romans again when he says, don't be conformed to this world. The second part is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to think about what we think about and to examine our lives before him. 
So I want to give you just a minute and take an opportunity to do that. I want you to ask, and you can get out your bulletin or wherever you're writing notes to write this down. But I want you to ask, Jesus, is there any place in my life that isn't in alignment with you? So I'll give you guys just a second. That question is, Jesus, is there any place in my life that isn't in alignment with you? Take a minute and write that down. All right, let's see what happens next in our story. It says, The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God. Did you catch that? Did you catch God's goodness there? It says, that he roused their spirit. See, God didn't just bring a word through Haggai and then expect the Israelites to go to work, no. He brought them a word and then he roused their spirit. He did the internal work to give them the passion and drive and the excitement to do what he was asking them to do. And it's the same for us. He's not just asking you to just work and do and check off all of the boxes. No, he wants to change your heart and rouse your spirit. And I think some of us need that here today because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And honestly, like the last few years have been a mess, right? Yeah, I think we could all use a little bit of that today. We need God to do a work in our heart to ask us, to ask for passion to do what he's calling us to do. So if that's you, if you need a rousing of spirit, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you and I wanna pray for you real quick. So Father God, I pray your spirit would just descend on this people right now. God, that in the places that they feel exhausted and worried and like they just can't do any more on their own, God, I pray that you would rouse their spirit and remind them that you're with them. I pray that you would give them the passion and the desire to chase after everything that you are asking them to chase after. And I pray they'd lay down the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. So after God does this, after he rouses their spirit, they begin work on the temple. And it's so cool because this idea, it's echoed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. See, God is saying that he promises to give us all that we need when we put his priorities, his kingdom, and his righteousness first. But how do we do that? How do we tangibly do that? Seek God's kingdom first. What does that look like in a world that's falling apart and unpredictable, where it is so easy as we're surrounded by media and advertisements to get caught up in the priorities of the world and in our own humanity. We start by taking inventory. See, God tells the Israelites five times in that short little two-chapter book of Haggai to think about their ways and to think carefully. 
We just have to examine our lives before him. So you can ask yourself questions like, what's working in my rhythms right now? Where do I feel like things fit? And what feels hard? What's not working? Do you know what your personal priorities and values are? How about your families? So several months ago when I preached, I told you guys that I made a family values exercise. And you can use it for, for individuals too. You don't have to have a family to use it. But there's a QR code in your bulletin that you can scan and you can use that to help you kind of define and narrow down what your priorities and values are. And I would encourage you to start that exercise by praying and asking God for help and showing you what his priorities for you would be in this next season. Once you know what those priorities and values are, then you can take a look at your habits and rhythms and see if they line up. Now, this can be a little bit of a reality check, and it can be a bit of a challenge. And so I'm going to push you, and I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I want you to pull out your phone, maybe this afternoon after you leave, and I want you to go to the screen time feature on it, and I want you to see how much time you actually spend on that little device. All right, now don't wait three days and do really good and then check it. Check what it really is right now. How much time do you spend on social media? How much time do you spend playing games? We use our phones for good things too, like work and talking to friends and communication. Okay, so there's, you may see good things there too. That was super surprising to me the first time that I saw it. If you want to really dig deep into this, then keep a log of what you do for an entire week. Now, this is hard work, but it is really telling, okay? So write down, I spent two hours, you know, in the morning getting ready, and then I spent an hour commuting to work, and then I spent six hours at work, I went to the gym for an hour, I came home and ate dinner and watched TV, and then I went to bed and slept for six hours or whatever. It's very telling. If you have the guts to do it, I would strongly encourage you to. Because here's what happens. If your rhythms and habits, if how you're actually living your life, if it doesn't live in alignment with your priorities and values, you're going to feel off. Things are not going to feel like they're running smoothly or working right. And so you're going to miss the mark and you'll miss God's best for you. Now, once you have the reality of your chaotic, messy closet of life laid out in front of you, then we get rid of what's in the way, right? What habits need to change? Which ones need to go away completely? God will show you if you ask him. Once you've got some space cleared out there, then you can begin to put the right things in their place. And so we create rhythms and habits that are aligned with God's priorities. And we are going to, you don't have to just figure them out for yourselves. We're going to talk about several over the next few weeks. So just keep coming and learn about all of these rhythms. And then you'll know some of them that you can put in those places. You don't want to miss the next few weeks, I promise. So as we wrap up today, I just, I want to reread this um, verse from Matthew to you. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to close your eyes bow your head and I want you to just receive this as if Jesus with a very high voice was saying it to you are you tired worn out burned out on religion 
come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn to live freely and lightly. Man, I want that so badly. In the chaos and the busy of homeschooling and running a ministry and running a family business, I need this. And you do too. And honestly, church, the stakes are entirely too high for us to not get this. Mental and physical health issues are on the rise. And it's killing us, living out of rhythm. It's literally killing us. From the anxiety and the depression to the suicide and the living in constant striving and worry. We have to get these rhythms. And God cares so much about this, and so do we at Grace. And that's why we're offering this Rhythms of Mental Health seminar here in a few weeks. You can sign up for that online if it's something that matters to you, something that you have struggled with personally, or something that you're worried about for your kid or your teen. They are experiencing things that none of us have had to walk through. And honestly, parents, our families cannot afford to not get this either. When we run ourselves ragged, chasing after the things of this world, our kids know it, they pick up on it, and guess what they do? They replicate it. You know this, they do exactly what you do. And that's why I'm hosting this online Family Rhythms Challenge because I care so much about you understanding what these rhythms are and how we can disciple our kids and lead them in a way that allows them to experience Jesus in their everyday lives. It's just in the mealtime, in the way that you do discipline, the way you put them to bed, the way you wake them up. All of those things matter. And I'm going through this too. I'm learning just like you. I don't have it all figured out. So I'm walking right alongside with you. So I'd love for you to sign up for that too. God wants more for you, families. He wants more for me. He promises to provide everything that we need when we just seek him first. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for this room, this church, God, these people that are hungry for you. And God, I pray that as we kind of reel from the challenge of looking at the reality of our lives, God, that you would just speak your gentleness over us. I pray that we would see that, yes, you ask us to work, but you say, I'm right there with you. That you've given us that promise. 
God, I pray for those that are broken here. I pray that we would just bring all of our messed up pieces before you and lay them at your feet and say, here I am, God. You can have all of it. God, we are wholly and completely available to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.